guys, it's been a while. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Winding down the clock it. to zero days since Mahar has I, told me it's been a while. I say it knowing that, you know what, one day I'm going to change my introduction. I'm going to change this introduction. It's everyone knows you know that this show opens with mahar saying it's been a while and sometimes it's true. You, know, you know like whenever i say it i always feel like i'm that character from diablo it's been a while stay a while and listen. okay everyone so welcome to trying to be kind it is a podcast that looks at a variety of texts in the academic realm that are then, how could one say, reconstituted as understood under an RPG lens. I also keep on changing these things as well because the books we've been reading, I, I think we're on a, on a mission to widen our scope. But anyway, as you know, we always have an introductory question so that people can get to know who we are. And today's introductory question is, what do you think? would have been Gary Gygax's Twitter handle had he actually been on Twitter. Not that I'm sure he ever was on it, because he lived long enough to see Twitter, right? No. He died when I was in college, and Twitter came out, like, literally the next year. Yeah, no, he was pretty active on some message boards toward the end of his life, though. Some old forums, Mm. you know, the Dragon's Foot forums and such. Okay, so who would like to answer that question as they introduce themselves? I'll hop in because I just take an issue. <laughs> Hi, I'm Fiona Maeve Geist and I'm obnoxious and I'm sorry that I'm still on this podcast. They'll find a better co-host eventually. And Boo. <laughs> Gary Gygax no. would have written at Gart Gygax and then he would have kept it out of stubbornness and a Midwestern like inability to accept he's made a mistake like when he allowed Lorraine Williams to take over TSR oh my god or every time that he borrowed money thank you for enriching my childhood I wish you were a better businessman uh, you know if you got a chance to try again oh my gosh and that's Fiona everyone Um, I can go. So I'm Jared. Hello. And I think if Gary Gygax were on Twitter or whatever, his handle would be uh, Mr. William Guisarm, which is a Bill Guisarm joke, everyone, just so we're all on the same. Okay. Pole arm. It's a very funny joke that I made. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging it. <laughs> no, I, I get the joke already. Oh my oh You've my seen God. me use that joke before, I think. Yeah, also, you know, I, I know a lot about pole arms. I, I got introduced to D&D in second edition, where the one spread is just all of the different mechanically identical pole arms, but just what yeah. the head of them is and how long they are. Yeah, oh that, that joke, any kind of Bill Guisarm joke is going to really separate out the grognards from the, like, reasonable people. Oh, my God. All right. So Fair and I'm balanced on the polearm issue. <laughs> 50-50. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm dying inside. Okay, so I'm a har, and I'm quite convinced that he would have done something simple like A, G, and G. And he would have been mm. like advanced Gary and Guy Gags. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's really just, good. Just to give him some sense of like achievement and linking to a brand that he would have lost <laughs> over time. 
because no yeah. one would understand what's advanced about it. <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder how well he would brand himself, though. I don't know. I, mean, I feel like if he was brought back as a techno lich, like he would maybe this time hire the right person to advertise for him on TikTok. Oh my god! <laughs> like, could you imagine? Like, if he was actually a techno lich, you would have to look for the server where he stores his soul. <laughs> Ew. Get a four hundred four. Gross. Gross. Okay, Emma. How about you? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm going more like uh, cringy dad vibes. Like you would be the Gax man or something like that. Oh, oh, it's a good one. oh, oh, yes. oh man, for Valentine's <laughs> no, Day, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he would change it to sexy Gax man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what he would have done had he lived long enough for Big Hero Six? He would have been Bay Gax. <laughs> Gax. <laughs> Yuck! Yuck! Suggesting there's an alpha gax out there. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is so disgusting. Okay, um, um, why did we think of this? Who thought of this? I blame Fiona. I I blame myself. This is Fiona. Okay, anyway, so we've been looking at this book, uh, Otaku, Japan's Database Animals by Hiroki Azuma, as translated by Jonathan E. Abel, and uh, Shion Kono. This is a book that looks at otaku culture. It was first. Um, oh my goodness! My sorry, everyone. This is Mahar on cold medicine. I have a sunburn and a cold at the same time. It is a very oh. weird feeling to have. Okay, but anyway, yeah. So that's the book. It was first published in the year two thousand one. And it has been reproduced in 2009 in English by the regents of the University of Minnesota. So I would say where it was originally uh, done, but I am very unsure of how much I want to butcher the Japanese language today. So on that note, last time we covered the entire notion of the otaku pseudo-Japan, we were looking at a chapter that basically looked how... Um, it tried to explain what postmodernism is, which it used its own self-serving uh, definition. I felt that was me. And then, okay, I'm getting spicy so early. And, and <laughs> coming in swinging. Coming in swinging. And then it then continued on to basically talk about like what it is. What does it mean to create signifiers for this culture that has become so recognizably Japanese over time? So much so that now, twenty plus years later. It's still somewhat relevant for us to ask the question of what is otaku, considering that in many cases, I think RPGs have rather rightfully been accused of cultural appropriation of Japanese mores and Japanese elements. And without the Japanese uh, respect, but rather just a desire to appropriate aesthetics. So, okay, there. That is me trying to be kind. Oh my gosh. You did it. I have not used that statement in a long time. No, you no, gotta be I cruel to be kind. I, I, no, like, no, I just realized we, in our very first book, we were trying to be kind, laboring every single episode, but we've been so nice for over two years. This feels true. different. I can't keep it up. It's like, oh my goodness. Okay, guys, I'm sick. So obviously, we're gonna 
<laughs> I'm not going to be the most patient person. All right, I give it to Jared and Fiona because they're going to be more sane than me today. <laughs> so, I have a heavily highlighted bit on the first page of the chapter we're kind of on, on uh, otaku and post-modernity, the propagation of simulacra. There's also so many subheadings in this that yeah. we're probably not going to reference them very well, but it... no. It actually does, I think, as a layout thing, break it up kind of nicely that every idea is kind of about four paragraphs. And then there's another he- subheading, even though he also uses that to be like, and so on, and then just move on. But mm-hmm. on why I think this is most kind of relevant here is uh, how he talks about derivative works in otaku culture, where he uses the phrase derivative works as a general term for the largely eroticized rereading and reproduction of original manga, anime, and games sold in the form of fanzines, fan games, fan figures, and the like. You know, where that's kind of his entry point into his whole idea of what is postmodernity, a grand narrative, and the loss of the grand narrative into a generalized consumption of databases, with now several diagrams, some of which are, this is an anime girl. Um, which I love. I love the like breakdown of like <laughs> here are the elements that make us an anime girl. It's like figure A, anime girl. <laughs> figure B, the grand arc of history and how we lost the grand narratives during the end of the Cold War, and now we just live in a surface database trying to simplify everything around us into a flat simulacrum so that we can be free of it. And this is both unique to Japan and not. Um, no. According to this chapter, totally ignoring that section in the intro about how Japan may never have been modern. <laughs> yeah. So, like, don't worry about that. Oh. This <laughs> this whole chapter, I think, changes in tone a lot, and then introduces a whole new set of things that I question. Wrote a lot of questions and comments about. I mean. It makes me it makes me wonder because it was serialized, right? This was first serialized in a in a ser- in, in in a popular journal, mm-hmm. meant for public consumption. Yeah, yeah. Like this but was published at mm-hmm. like for a U.S. audience, the way that like MIT Press does their foreign agent series, which publishes yeah. like you know four, ten to fourteen dollar like popular radical literature, you know. Yeah, but you know how like when you write an argument or you deliver when someone delivers an argument over time the argument mutates without that person realizing it and then they lose their consistency mm-hmm. this this makes it feel like that like it's almost like oh i trying to be kind here is this the result of someone basically like updating their thought in real time and thus what we're seeing is the evolution of one thought to another which is natural and organic as you learn more things as you read more and you think about your topic more or is this someone who basically just wrote whatever got him the grant (laughs) so that's 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 me being like I'm trying to be kind here because I, I agree with Emma that the the claims are very much in competition with each other. Like 
these two premises cannot exist at the same time. Like, no, it's one or the other, friend. It's not both. Like, assuming you want to have some kind of logical consistency. Well, as there's no more grand narratives, logical consistency would be an illusion. <laughs> oh, God. And my issue is, aren't grand narratives illusions as well? So what, what are we doing here? <laughs> okay, let's... Okay, let's break it down. Um, let, yeah. we're, we're, I think we're jumping into, like, I'm jumping straight into bile today. Okay, so I guess the question we should ask is, what does it mean without... Let's not let's not cop out the way he did. Okay, so... <laughs> sorry. We are now going to enter a section of the book where the question is, what is a grand narrative, right? Um, he wants to draw attention to the question of, in postmodernity, as the distinction between an original and a copy are extinguished, simulacra increase. So this is a Baudrillardian idea. So if this is valid, then how do they increase? In modernity, the cause for the birth of an original was the concept of the author. In postmodernity, what is the reason for the birth of, of the simulacra? Now, <laughs> he wants to answer this question, and what does he do to answer this question? in what I could only call the most brazen act of, are you an academic? <laughs> he tells you, you should read this other dude, and I will cite him for the next four long paragraphs. Yeah, like a whole page of just someone else. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm well, I have to be the one being defensive of an author. God, this is not my usual position. <laughs> All right. Go for it. So, I'll say... I think, given what Baudrillard argues and how much, look, I've read most of his publications, so I'm just going to go out and say I'm near enough to an expert, and I have a PhD in philosophy. If you really think that I'm wrong about Baudrillard, you can always add me on Twitter, and I will tell you why you're wrong. Anyway, (laughs) Baudrillard's central point throughout all of his books, right, um, although he develops it a lot, is just that, like, when you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and you also say that there is no real value or signifier, there's just an endless chain of images that go back and forth and circulate, and that people project meaning on them, but their meanings that they project on them are both arbitrary because we don't really have a grand narrative, but also it's impossible for us to believe in one anymore, right? Which is why Baudrillard does a lot of troll things and why troll academics like myself like him is, right? When he says things like, if you really want to destroy capitalism, what every human being in the United States should do is take out their entire life savings, go to Vegas and bet it all in green literally collapse the entire world economy and fuck capitalism. Literally, there is absolutely no recovery state for that. That would cause massive and catastrophic impacts and probably rebalance power and lead to multiple nuclear wars. You know, but like for real, if that it it doesn't even require you to fire a shot, you don't have to hurt anyone other than all of the people that are affected by your participation in a system of symbols that circulate, right? that's kind of the reality that he's trying to work with of like, sure. Also like media endlessly sanitizes war for his other big point, but like, you know, the Iraq war didn't happen. Isn't where he says the United States didn't invade another country. He meant that most of the people that invaded the country never directly encountered the people they were invading. They saw them through scopes on rifles or through, you know, the crosshairs of a flying machine that they used to drop bombs 
you know, and then it was broadcast on CNN where they had journalists rolling on tanks because, you know, he was at the first time the United States invaded Iraq talking about this. I think he was dying around the time the second happened, um, but still around for a bit. Anyway, I think that the central point to this that he's trying to gesture to, and it maybe doesn't land perfectly, um, is right. Like what he thinks is fascinating about otaku culture is that it takes what he considers derivative works, right? Like where he makes the point that this genre of nerd culture doesn't have deep references. It's usually assembled out of a bunch of other cultural references. And when you put them together, you kind of understand to some degree what's happening, right? Like to update his argument a bit, if you have seen one harem anime, you can walk into another one at an arbitrary point in the season. And the differences are often just the names of characters and like, you know, a few details of why the A and B plot are happening. It is Mm -hmm. also true of almost every American sitcom for a lot of eras. So it's not like I'm trying to claim that this is particular to anime, even very low budget harem anime, which I don't know if needs a defender. Um, but right for him it's that the comics market exists people like Sailor Moon they draw their own Sailor Moon you know version they create fan Sailor Moons they create Sailor Moons to you know express their idea of how a plot line was wrong and to jump into a Jared argument to force someone else to talk for a bit you know I think this connects you in a lot of ways why you think Homestuck is interesting to put you on blast on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You outed me as a person who has read Homestuck. Um, How do you mean though? Like, what what do you you mean about the way that like it's mimetic quality, right? Is some way in some ways part of the book, right? Like, Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's a moment, there's a moment in Homestuck. um, I've forgotten all the act names. Forgive me, Homestuck fans. Um, But there's a moment when the trolls, show up they're introduced right i think about the trolls that are interesting is they're they're like this sort of mix and match almost um paper dolls kind of like each one of them has a basic form and then you slap a zodiac sign on their shirt and you put a certain shape of horn on them and you give them like one giant personality trait and there you go you have a troll Right. So there's this like really it's it, my my argument is basically that the trolls are designed such that they are they're meant for OCs. You're meant to make your own. Right. And then like the way the trolls were made for Homestuck itself was to promote the ability to create OCs. It's very similar to arguments I've seen about um, My Little Pony, uh, Friendship is Magic specifically where, you know, all of those ponies look about the same underneath and then you draw something on their hindquarters and you give them a different hairstyle or whatever and a different color and you have your own, right? And so there's this, um, there's this sort of leaning into fan art part of it that, that happens with, with newer media. Yeah, because if I'm being generous with him, but, you know, I'm filling in a bunch of argument that I think might be there in subtext, right? It's why he chooses Gundam and Sailor Moon, because they're the two genders of otaku in a certain era where, you know, 
if you're really into Gundam, you kind of have a degree of there's a Gundam that you like and that you like doing like paint jobs and like other things for, or you like the Gundam lore, but right among the fan community and the circulation of it, where he never mentions the economic part where like, you know, kind of importantly that like merchandise is what's owned by the animation studio as their monetization point and that like that has heavily affected how like the entire deals are structured for that but you know i think that the fan-made works and their circulation is what he's trying to get at to make a point at post-modernity whether or not it lands who knows but i do think that in a degree i don't know if spelling out almost seven minutes of a incoherently stoned like trans woman with a phd it would be really worth it to spell out like baudrillard's exact argument because i think there's a degree to which if you've seen the matrix you kind of know what baudrillard is arguing even if it's not the best articulation of the point Mm, what if reality is kind of a lie but also very real it's, it's it's a question on what the production method is already basically right like are you copying what is you know this is very highly simplified but are you copying something from the so-called like true root of it that's why he talks about the old grand narrative and modernity right or are you copying the copy of a copy of a copy has it spread that term rhizomatically right um, and that's why he, you know rather than as an organic thing he pushes it to say it's a database model rather than like like the internet is so i guess the closest like modern example of this happening is with ai art it's like are you is ar is ai actually making any art that respects any background in art or are you simply simply putting insane mid-journey anime prompt 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 and then you get a horrid mishmash of something that hopefully works which resembles what you think it is, but is that really it? Mm. Which, you know... Um, do we want to lay out... I think this might help ground us a little bit. Help sort of lay out the two models. Yeah. Let's... On 32 and 33 are the diagrams. We love diagrams on this show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Return to form love... that there are diagrams. Yeah, and they have arrows. And I'm going to talk about those arrows. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so... I, I can, I'll have a shot at it and y'all can like tell me I'm wrong if I get something wrong. Um, so there's two models here, right? And, and there's sort of one that the author is positing is a more modern example of how we might conceive of whatever, the making of meaning, especially in media. And one that uh, he's proposing is sort of a postmodern and specific in some ways to otaku model. So like the modern model is uh, generally called the tree model, always in scare quotes, which I love. <laughs> um, and it's basically the idea that like, there's a deep, <laughs> he uses the phrase deep inner layer, right? Which is this sort of hidden system that produces an outer surface layer that is an individual piece of media. Um, say so for instance a, a, an anime right in this conception might be the product of whatever social and economic and blah 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 and so on and so on um, ideas 
Um, and then it, that is the sort of surface level expression of this deeper systemic meaning. And so when we consume a piece of media, we're really on some level attempting to get back, get some like secondhand understanding of that deeper systemic meaning that produced the media that we're consuming. Um, and so there's a little arrow. I really got to talk about this arrow on the diagram that moves it goes from the deep inner layer to the eyeball of the viewer and it says i am determined through narrative meaning that the viewer is determined through the narrative that's the grand narrative i, I suppose of the deep inner layer is that like at least mildly accurate to your understanding of what's going on here yeah that's yes. what's going on yeah zero resemblance to a tree yeah, no tree, not tree-like at all. I, I do. It's a very important thing to point out. Not a tree. Um, so the, the second model, um, and the one that the book is sort of positing as a more useful model for understanding otaku culture and perhaps I don't know postmodernity uh, broadly, is the database model. Also in scare quotes here. Um, and in this case, the deep inner layer is not a grand narrative. It is instead a database. Um, meaning it's just like a big bucket full of empty signifiers. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about that, I'm sure. <laughs> the next huge chunk of this book delves into what those signifiers look like. But just symbols, right? Um, it's just stuff. Um, aesthetics, anything. Um, and it's all very atomized and disconnected from one another, just in a big lump. And then the outer surface area, or the outer surface layer, rather, um, where all the small narratives of individual pieces of media live, are just combinations of those um, individual signifiers that live in that giant database bucket. Um, and so there's no, I think the important difference is that there's no um, inherent meaning to the deep inner layer, right? There's no quote unquote grand narrative that's sort of producing the outer surface layer. Instead, the outer surface layer is potentially comprised of every potential infinite combination of whatever happens to be in the database. These things are all, they, they live in potentiality and then eventually they get created or not, right? And so it's this huge infinite thing. And so the, the individual piece of media doesn't so much like consuming it is not a matter of us trying to understand this grand narrative behind the, the, the media that created the media, but instead it's us in some ways creating the media insofar as we, the, the, the book uses the phrase read up and I really like it. Cause like call up out of a database um, that we read up narratives out of this, chaotic, meaningless, atomized set of symbols, um, sort of randomly um, recombining them a la minute. And so the, the arrow on this one, I'm going right back to that arrow. The arrow on this one goes in the opposite direction. It goes from the eyeball all the way back to the deep inner layer. And it says, I read up narratives, right? So there's like a full inversion that it's trying to get at here, where in the tree model, the viewer is determined by in some in some ways by the deep inner layer instead here i suppose the deep inner layer is determined or at least understood by the viewer right so it's this this um 
inversion of the the energy of the thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That took longer than I wanted it to, but <laughs> it's so a very good description of I'm glad. Good description. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, someone had to, I mean, this is the problem I think with academic books in general, like they, it's the, the, the concepts are bigger than necessary language allows. And so that's why you're reduced to using diagrams, but the diagrams don't talk about the language <laughs> the diagrams are bananas yeah. <laughs> these are, these are, these especially are bananas. for theoretical stuff it's like what yeah. are you doing here <laughs> yeah. but, you know like the the important thing about this i think is it, this is what creates the second half of the conversation which is that and i think we're going to cover most of that today which is that okay if we understand our stuff through how we are basically uploading what we want like we we basically we re-upload what we consume in the cycle of like life of the narrative basically such that there's no longer any large narrative the question then is how does this produce the otaku like stuff that we've come to appreciate or not appreciate and his main argument then goes on because we're no longer in this grand narrative where people used to just get influenced by what they saw, but rather it's the, uh, it's the, it's someone, it's that, as Jared described, it's now this uploady like database situation. Um, he then continues on to talk about, you know, he then continues on to talk about, uh, well, I'm skipping quite a bit what happened with Evangelion. Mm. <laughs> um, because I'm like, which to me, honestly, was a little bit like wonky because I never watched Evangelion as a child. I did not watch it at the start of of the thing. So this no one is should maybe... watch it as a child. To just say it, <laughs> no, 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 you should I, watch I, it I as a mean, like when it was movie. airing. Yeah, I didn't watch it when it was when it was airing. So I have okay, no yeah. idea of the cultural significance of Evangelion. Yeah, um, and that is why I will leave it to our our resident Evangelion, who, 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 people who own the original DVD. That's you, Fiona. Like yeah. to, to figure out, like what was it? Um, what was it that created these? Like you know, basically, how did this lead to what we know as an otaku product? Did we want to cover that now or go back well, and well, look maybe. At I, hmm. This is such like a vexing book pages. because it's like yeah, it, there's it's so, so much that place. happens, but also it kind yeah. of has the problem of like as someone that taught a philosophy class multiple times, you know, the correct answer is sometimes seven to eight uninterrupted minutes of just explaining what is said <laughs> in two paragraphs because yeah. it's just references and the question is do you get all these academic references so you can do the little dance to like be like mm. the point is right or wrong can i just add a little something the reason why i think that happens because in this book he just lays out the claims without any warrants yeah so he's like boom here we go here this is how it works bye moving on yeah and i'm kind of guilty of that right now um, because I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, hey guys. So this is he goes on from this framework, which Jared just took like beautiful time to explain. And yes, then, but and then, but that's exactly what that's exactly what's that. Oh my god, are we the podcast equivalent of this book? 
Oh, I yeah, we kind of, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm a hypocrite. Oh, no, it's postmodernity. It's okay. Like, we're yeah. just a series of, like, no surface layer things that are, like, presenting the pseudo-grand narrative of us addressing RPGs or games or books. But, like, really, it's all just, you know, the whatever the reader brings here in their multiferous splendor. I'm sorry, you can't see me right now, but I'm hugging my pillow in shame. No, <laughs> no, no shame. You should never be ashamed of being smart. No, it's it just... Is, you, you, Emma, you go. Well, it is partly how it is written. And also, we're all clearly excited about different things. And I say excited in the agitated sense, and not in the necessarily, you know, giddy to talk about the activity, though. So you actually have to be very clear here. I mean, honestly, it's it's the academic equivalent of a baboon, like, presenting itself. And now you just want to... You just want to like, what the hell? I'm okay. I'm sorry. I do think mm. this is also a product of it being a popular book written by an academic who, and as academics, you all understand, like still feel the need to signal to other academics that you know of all the things. <laughs> yeah. But the, he doesn't have the time or space or maybe doesn't really know how to explain that to other people. So he's just going to be like, you know what? Simulacrum, look it up. And then keeps going. <laughs> And whether what comes next is related or not is questionable. Uh, but like, I don't know if we really need to go into <laughs> every minute detail. I have some overarching comments that we can maybe get to eventually yeah. as both a media person and an archaeologist. Oh boy. Well, it seems to me like maybe, maybe the thing to do is to talk about, like, to start moving toward talking about Moe. Because mm. I think that that f- dovetails nicely into sort of understanding what the database thing is. And there's and a. Um, getting back to uh, Evangelion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think we'll get to Evangelion. Like, that'll that'll be the cherry on that on that cake. But there's, there's a, an example that I really liked, um, or, or at least, like, worked for me. Um, where he's talking about, I think it was stickers. I can't find it. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's the, oh, yeah, uh, the whole sticker thing. The sticker thing. And he says, like, you know, a company might make, I don't know, 76 different yeah. stickers of Gundams or something, right? 76 different Gundams. And that's it, right? That's them. Um, but then some I, Jared, might come along and make another sticker that's different yeah. from those 76, right? And so that's sort of, that's the transition into this database model, right? Or it's yeah. it's going back to what we were saying earlier about the trolls in Homestuck or well, um, my, my Little Pony OCs, right? Like there are all of these aesthetic things that are part of My Little Pony's vocabulary. And then I can sit down, sure, and be like, I'm going to make a vaporwave pony and, you know, whatever. And like just start choosing random according to my own personal whim and put my own together. Right. And so there's mm. that sort of, that's working in a more database mode, I guess, for the purposes of this book. Yeah. Yeah. The sticker thing is from the long segment by, uh, Otsuka Eiji. Oh, is yeah. that, is that part of the theory quarter? of narrative <laughs> consumption? Yeah. Well, oh, I didn't even, it's not even his, but yeah, it worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> 
And like for some of this, the whole question of what's real, what's a knockoff, what's original, what's a copy. I wrote some a little thing in the margin about the OGL and player made content for D&D, but didn't really elaborate on that. But all of this stuff is super relevant to games because of the idea of fan produced stuff. We could drop the eroticized part of his definition of derivative works because <laughs> like it can be or it can't be it doesn't have to be yeah but this is a big question of media studies and reception studies is fan produced and fan interactive stuff because it's not just part of otaku like it's a part of a lot of fan bases and has been for a long time so i have a whole weird thing that's putting games onto this also but in a completely um, pig-headed and terrible way, so we oh, should do that like several episodes from now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that, should like, that should be like a, once we've actually done this book, we can talk about Jared's weird tinfoil hat game stuff with this. Um, if we have we're, time and want to. <laughs> no, we're coming back. To, I'm gonna make a note right now. To ask about your <laughs> yeah, setting an alarm on your phone for six months from now. I'm, like, I'm don't forget tinfoil hat because, like, I guess the one thing I want to throw in is. Um, you know, I think that like there's the bit where he mentions that also the difference from the grand narrative is that like your 77th sticker is valid, right? To yeah. turn to the homestuck and et cetera, is that like to some degree the creation of a commons where you're allowed to use some tracing to like create and circulate it is important. And why I see it is so connected to D and D because it's like yeah, the OGL is just a formalized version of this that a business made. Yeah. Because it's not a copy, right? Yeah. That that 77th sticker is not identical to any of the ones that exist. It is new and novel, but it happens also to have this sort of tenuous relationship to the other things and sort of trying to figure out what that relationship is. We can go to the database model to understand all the one. I can't believe that we use the OGL to describe what this person <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. But that's more. All of that stuff was going. Yeah, all that stuff was going down when I read the section. I was like, oh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying this in despair. It's just more of like it just proves a previous thesis. Like, oh, look, we think our problems are so unique in this in this industry. We think oh, yeah. we're so. Oh no, no one understands the pain that we're going through. I'm like, guys, uh, turns out, guess what? Japan went through it how many years ago? Mm-hmm. I mean, assuming there's truth to this, but then again, you know, we don't have it. I think there's elements anymore. of truth to this. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. And like I said, in media studies, some of the points that he made in this chapter, I've seen repeated as discussion points in other research that I'm more on the side, well, not on the side, but a lot of the more reception-based stuff really does it for me more because one thing I don't like about this is how much it generalizes the audience. And it's just like, oh, otaku do this. The whole section about how they might be mentally unstable because of the loss of grand narrative and they're cobbling together junk culture is just something that <laughs> really makes me okay <laughs> oh my gosh some be like this humor you know oh, like the 90s yeah. stand up because I, I 
I feel like he's being sarcastic at parts, and I feel like that's something that might not translate well into English. (laughs) That's possible. And there are a few times where he says, like, whether or not he agrees with it or not, but a lot of it's just provided. And he then keeps referring to junk subcultures, which is just like, why is this junk? Can we stop calling it that? (laughs) Oh my goodness, Emma, when you brought that up, the whole, like, you're you're not, you're mentally well... I yeah. literally encircled it in my copy and went, hello, you, is that Ron Edwards? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big, Ron. Yeah. Big Ron is very yeah. much in this. <laughs> I did have a grand narrative and a master plan. Yeah. When I suggested right? this book. <laughs> <laughs> it's in there. Oh my like, god. Because uh. also, I think to some degree, the fan community of making anything, right, that exists mm-hmm. within like something that will always, by definition, be larger than the fans. Mm-hmm. Like, in ways, this feels a lot like when academics write about professional wrestling, something I also care about, but where like they try to talk about kayfabe and you realize that they've talked to wrestlers and they don't understand that. When someone says I'm being honest with you, they're lying to you. Does someone want to tell me what Moe is? Oh. Like I've, I think I've got it through context clues. There are, well, the issue is there's multiple, well, there's always multiple definitions, but well, yeah. the term itself has changed over time and there's no agreement, even within the people who do this stuff mm. about what exactly what it entails. But in general, it's all about sort of that feeling of being attracted to or an affection for characters. Um, But his focus is on one particular interpretation of Moe that's become really emphasized, which is the interest in sort of the innocent, femme, girly... I don't know, preteen and teenager kind of category that have these certain cute elements. Yeah, cute okay, innocent that, that makes elements. sense. Yeah. yeah, okay. And he likes to lean toward the more sexualized side of it, off and on. But, like, I don't know. I've read definitions where a lot of people believe that it stops being moe when it becomes sexual. And so, you know big long discussions i'm sure there's message boards full of this but there's also academic papers and (laughs) everyone trying to figure it out but i think a lot of the media people come at it from a perspective that it's some sort of sexual deviancy in the first place and so that stuff is a little harder to rely on but yeah in general like the blorbo it's blorbo okay sure yeah so the book is using moe to I don't know, as a particular kind of database, right? It's sort of using yeah. it as a case study. And so it's referring to Moe elements a lot. We've got this figure six on 43, where it's, um, it's I love this, this figure um, because it's just an anime girl. And then all the parts of her are labeled green yeah. hair, made uniform, tail, bells you know and so on and those are all moe elements i like where he says that like certain moe elements have origins like very decisively and yet Mm. also says that like everything in this system 
was never original because it was always borrowing. Yeah. Or like trying to find that origin, which is one of the things that set me off on scribbling notes and the wavering in between whether or not there is an origin or if that's a thing or assuming that at one point things were created with the idea that something was unique and the origin. But for me, this is where my archaeology side kicks in, where it's just like, there's nothing. What What is an origin or an original? Uh, what's the first of something? Is there ever? like, Especially with something like storytelling and characters and all of that. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think there's a lot of assumptions here about creation and creativity and the creative process that just don't get looked at and they're assumed. And I think a general audience would assume like, oh yeah, an author makes a thing. It's an original work. Oh, but maybe anime and manga isn't like that. So maybe he has a point. It's like, well, I don't, I don't think that's how, I don't know. All of that works. There's always been tropes and archetypes and character types and character-driven narratives. and Literature has eras. And, like, yeah. the great thinker of, like, small literary movement versus, like, the general writers, you know? like Yeah. And for, like, classical painting versus other things, it's like, do they think classical paintings and Renaissance work are all individual, talented creations well, no, a lot of them were actually taking formalized tropes and elements and combining them in different ways with a particular artist's hand. And so what what is this idea of a, a talented artist creating a unique original? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, so a lot of it I was religious art. Like, yeah. I mean, there were symbols and conventions and things that you did. But yeah, I, mean, I don't it's, know. It's really funny because this is where I think the strain between the claims begins from the last episode and this episode. Because in the first episode, he makes this really, you know, rather audacious claim that this is pseudo Japan. Right? right. This is not a Japan that we know. This is a Japan that is manufactured according to the uh, determinations of another country. Right. Mm-hmm. But then in this one, he really goes on to talk about like in in this section about like what are these moe elements? Like what does it mean to be cutie cute? What is cutie cute? How do people view cutie cute? How Japan, how Japanese people make for things to be cutie cute, cutie cute, cutie cute. I'm like, wait a minute, but there seems to be quite a lot of self determination here, mm. <laughs> which I don't see. Like, are we supposed to assume that these websites like Tenami, which he brings up, like these search engines to look for these moe elements so that you can find your favorite characters, for example, were these accessible to, say, Americans to use? I mean, no, you would actually have to have, I don't think the average, like, even very deep down weeb has that much knowledge of, like, kanji to be able to successfully, like, navigate this website in the 90s and early 2000s. Well, there's the dumb way of navigating it, you know, as someone who's not literate but knows, you know, 
some things, right? Like, you can script things, like finding certain terms that you need, like buy. There's, like, a lot of guides for using eBay in Japan among, like, the American secondary mm-hmm. market that, like, basically explain this is how to write a form letter by copy and pasting what is essentially, like, hello, I am living in America at this address and will pay this amount if you just use this service and this is fine type stuff, you know, to actually yeah. do international. But, like, but that's what it's I like mean. kit bashing like, at a, like, keyboard, right? Like, Yeah, but that's exactly the issue, though. Like, at the end of the day, is he, he's, he makes this first claim where, oh, you know, this is just pseudo-Japan. This is not actual. Like, this is not even our native thing. But then he continues right. on to talk about this thing, losing that framework, because it's so, it is so very much, like, I don't know, it's so very much he talks about the otaku culture and I was kind of like wait a minute like you're like you're he's not conceding that his notion of the culture may have evolved into something else at this point so his his definitions are not consistent and then that's why you're just kind of like "Eh, wait a minute what are you talking about yeah, he does cover multiple, like at least two phases of uh, the Moe stuff in relation to database and the non-narrative and the grand narrative and all mm-hmm. that stuff, which he kind of tries to overlap with the different generations and what they went through. So like the people from the 60s and 70s, for some reason, trying to scramble and gain a pseudo grand narrative versus those from the 80s and 90s who had completely done away with grand narrative and replaced it with what he would call junk subculture. Or someone else said that. I shouldn't say he said that. But he quotes it. I don't use yeah. grand non-narrative quite a bit. The non-narrative thing is mm-hmm. related to the database. and yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of does, says that like, oh, there's, some generations and there's differences. Everything changed in the nineties with Evangelion, but I don't know about his take on modernity or grand narrative or what happened afterwards or how that, well, that applies to Japan. And then, like I said already, he's already generalizing too much about who Mm. otaku are and what they are like in a way that makes them kind of caricatures like and saying that otaku are all into and only care about facts and things about these franchises that they like to the point where they don't care about anything else like everyday jobs social (laughs) interactions uh you know voting he mentions voting several times like political process it's like, I, I find that very hard to believe. Well, <laughs> he's also, like, got a kind of... I... What I, as a very limited knowledge, perceive uh, as, like, man, he chose some, like, very demonetizable things to reference for his choice of, like, what is the difference between, like, the 70s and the 80s for him, with being, like, Yeah, the 70s is the explicitly communist movement that, like, really it is culturally unacceptable to talk about a lot of ways, followed by 
you know, the domestic terrorist religion that committed a sarin gas attack that could have killed yeah. thousands of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like I get what he's trying to shockingly say there, right? Like that to some degree, Japanese student commun- radical communism was like a very small movement of student radicals who very much fetishized Maoism to the point that they hazed each other to death in the woods and then were mm-hmm. raided by the national police using like paramilitary tactics, which is, you know, hugely taboo. And then in the aftermath, you do have the rise of cults, like demographically, you know, like the rise of like charismatic psychics and stuff, but also like mm-hmm. many of them are, I mean, it's like all the TV psychics on like fucking um, uh, Iron Chef back in the day where it's like many of them are just pseudo celebrities. They're like influencers, like their followers mm-hmm. don't believe as strongly as the people who were drugged with LSD and like, you know, repeatedly tortured by members of Am Shikaro. Um, but, you know, I get that his idea is that like the belief system of Am Shikaro doesn't really make any sense unless you already believe a lot of conspiracy theories because it's like, mm-hmm. even by the standards of Japanese ultranationalism, it's ultranationalism is unpalatable. Like, it's psychedelic stuff and syncretism with like Hindu ultranationalism, I assume would be pretty weird. And I get that he's trying to say like, Oh yeah, this subculture is just so esoteric that like, yeah. of course it becomes a cult, but it's like at risk of sounding yeah. like weirdly nationalist to a country. I don't live in. Amjakara was incredibly marginal and like mostly did yeah. get away with what it did because of like fairly strong protections for religion like mm-hmm. and also the lucrative nature of an american style tax free system for certain religious things but yeah that whole that whole thing we're saying that otaku as a whole are more open to esotericism and occultism because of a loss of a grand narrative and that void being that loss of religion and gods being filled by something else i wasn't entirely sure how that was related to manga and anime i mean but i only took it as the point of like he thinks that it's such a like nonsense subculture in the junk sense of like yeah you know like people will grasp onto anything now that you can't believe in communism or capitalism or voting or like mass politics like in a weird way he's just roundabout been like they're the ultimate consumer but he just doesn't Mm. seem to want to say that because it yeah. Would also normalize it in a lot of ways, like other than it being handicrafts in some ways that people do their own art and aspire to be mangaka and aspire to be animators. And like many people get their yeah. starts doing fan work. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I hate to say yep. this, but doesn't this, doesn't the whole argument now that you've laid it out, like what are the consequences of the non, the grand non narrative? It's kind of boomerish, isn't it? He would, by age, be a boomer. It's like, we lost something, and what happens next? It's like, oh, you know, I mean, like, oh, you know, it's it's just one of those things where, like, just bringing it into games, right? And, like, I I talked about Ron Edwards very early on. Like, oh, God. (sighs) But it does, it's the same argument in a way. It's, It's that basically there's something fundamental gone, 
they're going about they're going about things in a way that isn't authentic. I think authentic is a good word for whatever they're looking for. I honestly don't detect. I, I don't detect what exactly is the thesis, and that might just mm. be me, not like, because I'm not sure what he wants to say in a way. Like it's it's so it's too roundabout for me, right. and uh, and I'm already like not in the mood to be kind to this person, which <laughs> so I'm trying to not have a bad faith reading, um, but in, sure. in I'm it, I'm trying. I'm not saying I'm succeeding, Emma. <laughs> okay. No, that but, wasn't meant to be a snarky yeah. shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's, I'm sorry, I, but you know, it's just like it's that's why we're having this discussion because I think many times we, especially when we talk about like going back to why we read this book in the first place, because RPGs for ill or nil goes and thinks they, you know, they want the anime energy in their products these days, like. I know I do. I mean, I watched Record of Lodos. I wish my games were like Record of Lodos, right? And um, and um, in that regard, it's like, uh-oh, what's happening here is that there, there seems to be this... How, how do I say this? It's almost like the, uh, the discussion about things being moe or not in relation to a re- narrative or not it's almost like an accusation. It feels to me that mm. because you do not have a proper way of absorbing and looking at the world, you are slowly but surely disintegrating what makes being otaku meaningful. And that is why you're ending up with junk. That's, that's part, what it, Does that make sense? I yeah. think it's part... His idea of otaku is that you're, you're grasping at junk... And it's the loss of like traditional narrative and uh, culture that's causing it. But yeah, I mean, I think he has a really There's... flat view. Sorry, has a flat what? <laughs> flat view. I mean, he oh, talks yeah. about hyper flatness later, and you know, references the lack of success of a fine artist doing an anime style um, among otaku. But like. I can oh get God. this I argument <laughs> in, you know, like the idea of like, yeah, there's in any industry a lot of shovelware, right? Like there mm. to a degree, yeah, I don't think anyone's proudest moment in the monetization department of an animation studio is when they sell like, you know, a limited edition erotic phone card to be sold in like, you know, love hotels. But if it helps them pay for doing more animation, that's part of life. But also it's not other, like the collector market for that generally only comes out of the future part where people actually care about something. And then that, that thing is rare. Yeah. Which I think he's really like skipping on. There's yeah. Nuance, little things. And this is a problem that I have with, other media studies stuff that I've read, and I know it's not possible to cover everything, but there's a real confusion over the production consumption cycle. So when talking about the Moe database and uh, how Moe developed and how he notices that it changes, it starts with like one really popular character, and then the whole concept of what's Moe or popular Moe changes. It's like, yeah, but what is just a 
a response and what is planned and what is produced and how does it happen. And I don't think he really covers that so much. And in some of the media stuff, they talk a lot about emergence and that you can't actually pinpoint any one thing or say it's a combination of parts because it's it's unique. Like what's going on? (laughs) But to say that they have this database and they just draw bits from it until one day someone makes something different and it's popular. And then they start drawing bits off of that. It's not quite, it doesn't quite do it for me in terms of explanation or I don't know covering some of those dynamics of production and consumption and popularity and what fans want and then what the industry provides and all of that back and forth. Also just like the tropey things like to a degree, right? Like in my understanding of fandoms as a participant, my own fandom cultures and stuff, people care about the specificity of archetypical characters to some degree. Like, Mm-hmm. You would like a character to embody certain archetypical things and then fill out details and be in a rich enough world that, like, they're actually interesting. And failing yep. to do that is part of what just a media production is. Like, most mecha shows didn't become Gundam. Yeah. I, Absolutely. It's not the first time there was a giant robot. There was a vogue for giant robots in a bunch of different ways. Like, there's. Oh yeah, the cycles the of the giant 50s. robot production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I don't know. Like I said, archaeologist. I have about three hundred thousand years of humanness that I look at this through, <laughs> and <laughs> for some of it, it's like this has happened before. That's happened before. This isn't new. So, like the upsurge in interest in the occult is an ongoing cycle that's been going for so long before the 1970s where he pins that down uh my other thought is this grand narrative well in the grand scheme of things grand narrative was only really associated with modernity which is only actually a few hundred like a couple hundred years of human history and yes it was important because it's associated with like nation states and sort of the foundations of what we have now so okay but like most of humanity isn't necessarily designed to live by a grand narrative that unites millions of people but then also this whole idea that oh breaking things down into pieces and creating a database is new no because scientific classification and all of the people going obsessed about documenting the natural world is not new or needing to classify things and I don't know. For me, (laughs) there are still some interesting little bits and stuff that I don't think is wrong, but some of the framing and some of the comments just set me off. (laughs) You see, one of these days, I think what we should simply do is I would love for us to have a PDF exchange with all our annotations. Yeah, you want to see my notes? So I annotate like Jared eats Kit Kats in that it's wrong and bad. And I, I do, I actually only highlight before the show to like try and grab a few phrases I think are good benchmarks for what I've got to be looking for. That's it. Mm. Mine is mine is literally just me asking questions like why, why again, why, why, why. <laughs> 
and then dot 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 I don't think I like you <laughs> oh <laughs> sometimes like there, there are times that I just I just literally went like I don't think I like you like this is not nice this is not no or like like for example when you talk about these like really harsh generalizations I'm like mm, no no <laughs> Yeah, like, like this is this is not nice, and I don't like your, I don't like the I don't like, I don't like the psychological implications of these grand statements, these big statements people make because it almost presumes like, I'm sorry, I'm just sensitive to like people giving. You want to drag his grand narrative down into our slurry? You know, it's just more like, how could you, how could you say that X makes you act X way? I'm like, this is yeah, exactly. talking about, you're literally talking about like a psychological reason for these things. I mean, there are so many things outside of a genre that will give you a mental health breakdown. And I think it's really, you know, it's just, I find that just so off-putting. Mm-hmm. Like you know, he talks about like people like you know you're gonna uh, never mind. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah, especially it's, with Evangelion and its association with mental health. <laughs> I, let's not get started. I mean, we will get yeah. started, but yeah, we'll have to talk about <laughs> yeah. next episode. That'll probably oh, be the beginning of next episode. Oh my god! Oh my, this is so good. Can I? Can we share this picture, Emma? Yeah, go for it. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, Emma's pick. Emma, I said I was going to make a note of it. <laughs> Emma literally asks here, ask about Jared's tinfoil hat. <laughs> uh, can we have an image that is so... Oh, okay, okay. You know what? You know what? I think on, on that note... On that note... Jared's tinfoil hat. The best title oh for gosh. the episode. Well, Jared's tinfoil hat. That is the title of this episode. We found it. (laughs) I mean, seriously, though, I think we have, like, maybe two to three episodes on this. Yeah. To be honest about it, but, like, it's like, this is the frustration of the book, which is, honestly, (laughs) it's just... It feels like it's aggressively avoiding coming to a conclusion while coming to every conclusion. It yeah. reminds me of reading The Forge, but I think the authors write more often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah. that's it, yeah. So yeah, the like, University of Japan way better than fucking The Forge at Japan. But reading it is very much... Reading this book is very much like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, I'm waiting for the, like... And that's why this. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> All the things intertwine at it the end. It feels like it's like, ah. up to Yeah. It's like a Dickens novel. Breaks <laughs> <laughs> all this nonsense. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Just listing things that are Japanese and saying that they're maybe part of a grand narrative or not. No. Oh my goodness. I mean, seriously, at this rate, we're all going to end up Miss Havisham because this is just so. Okay. <laughs> just wearing our wedding dresses. And- <laughs> Fiona, I have not felt this pain in almost two years. Do you understand? It's good when for us. Hey, the- when was our last Forge episode? I'm <laughs> checking right now. This is the last time I felt this way. Hey, but think of the that will watch Evangelion after this as a group. 
I actually don't want to watch should. Evangelion. Uh, uh, are we, are we gonna watch it's it? time for me to rewatch it, TVH. Uh, I love it. It's been a while. To be honest, I haven't watched uh, Evangelion ever full. I always That's fine. I always after like the third episode, I'm like, I'm out. Wow. Yeah. I'm done. Totally I'm fair. Yeah. Like you don't need to watch there's it's plenty of anime hard. out there. You don't need to watch it. I know, but everyone everyone I say that's just like you never finished Evangelion. I'm just like, I just can't. Oh, I know whatever. I know where this is headed. Give me give me my Moe. <laughs> yeah. Give me my cute, cute, cute anime. And about, eventually like, they you clap know... for the sad boy. <clears throat> also, we should oh end this God. episode. In, in one end. Yeah. Episode. Yeah, All okay. Right. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. Go to our Twitter. Um, it's at Kind Trying. Send us questions. We don't um, have a mailbag today. Yeah, send us questions on the Twitter, and maybe we'll answer them at the end of an episode one day. We will share the picture we're talking about. It'll be a yeah. I'll, I'll put that in the episode description or something. <laughs> <laughs>